Hi everyone, my name is João and I'm your host at the Software Crafts Podcast. Today with us we have Xin Yao. Xin is a social technical software architect in Dang's Bank. She explores domain-driven design in her organization's IT modernization journey from a mainframe-centric landscape to cloud-based services. She regularly facilitates collaborative domain modeling workshops using visual discovery techniques such as event storming and worldly mapping to co-create shared domain understanding and link to customer value. She's particularly curious of whatever blending domain-driven design into her organization's current Agile Transformation Initiative can give its habitual top-down architecture, gestation culture, a gentle nudge towards a democratic metamorphosis. Ching dreams of and works on elevating software architecture to a communication tool across disciplines, own and evolved by Agile teams organically. Hi, Chin, and welcome to the show. Hi, Joel. Thanks for inviting me. Really appreciate this opportunity to participate in your podcast. Yeah, thanks for your kind words. And um, jumping into it, the, the heuristic today uh, is think fast, inexpensive, restrained, and elegant, so-called FIRE. What are your thoughts about this? Yeah, so so FIRE was uh, originally coined by Dan Ward in his book with the same name, right? So uh, the four words, FIRE's fast, inexpensive, restrained, and elegant. So at first sight, I was thinking, okay, that's, that's simple. That's like stating the obvious. But when I really dug into it, I just find this heuristic is actually really, really useful, having a lot of layers and wisdom and depth and um, uh, um, mutual dynamics between um, the four aspects. So I'm, I think it's, um, it's really resonating well with me uh, these days. Um, so there are four aspects to it, right? So if we think about fast, uh, so like at first sight, it's like, okay, we're all doing agile, we're doing short sprints, uh, big enterprises are embarking on that journey, we're all wishing to do things fast. What's, what's new about that? Um, but in truth, um, uh, fast is actually not a goal in itself. And for me, it's really like having a a ability to define a objective and outcome that is achievable within a limited time frame. So it's not about speed. It's not about being uh, doing things blindly fast, but defining a scope, uh, being out outcome oriented rather than uh, process oriented. And then the um, the second word is inexpensive. Now nowadays, which organization doesn't want to cut costs? So inexpensive is also yeah, in the beginning, sounding very uh, obvious. But then again, it's about the, this awareness, I think, of um, not overusing resources, doing architecture, doing integration, um, and, and, but a, a call to action for using, um, maybe we don't have to do this expensive prototype if we can visualize something using a Miro board, using event storming, using Wharton mapping, maybe we can make sense of things by some, some uh, cheaper methods rather than going to coding immediately. Um, and then the, um, the third word is restraint. 
So that's a little bit uh, uh, abstract, but actually it's, um, um, for me, it's kind of a, a common thread running through the whole fire principle, right? So restraint on time, restraint on budget, restraint on a, the team size, having a small team uh, of talented people and having a small scope. So restraint on everything. <laughs> and then the last word is uh, what I think is the most intriguing and the, 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 there's the most um, uh, wisdom and depth in it. Uh, I think the word originally, the, the last word is elegant, right? So originally uh, in uh, the fire principle was called fist. So the last two bits are tiny and simple. But then he renamed it to elegant. And I think that's a good renaming because that makes the simplicity concept. So uh, so the last elegant is about valuing simplicity over complexity. Um, and I think that that begs the question, how simple is good? How much simplicity um, is good? And how much complexity is good? And where can we find that balance of being both simple and elegant and useful. So I think it's a really intriguing uh, heuristics and begging for a lot of deeper thinking um, and wise usage. This is very interesting, your sharing of thoughts and also thanks to, to give a little bit on the history of the heuristic itself and where it came. It's very, very rich. I think that the audience will love. And um, I was writing Fast and Furious, in my case, because you were putting lots of stuff. Uh, but I, 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 I relate, I relate to your, your, your thought process. This looks simple, and we talk about uh, this off. We're gonna state the obvious, but then you give your spin. And now I have a few, lots of follow-ups questions, and um, I want to start when you were talking about the concept of fast about scoping. In your job as a social technical software architect, how do you scope the problems at hand? Right. So uh, the way I do scoping is always having a, a bigger anchor, I think. So, so many times when we do, when, when I was, when I'm invited to do, for instance, a talk, a conversation about uh, integration architecture, microservice architecture, and scoping a particular task, uh, sometimes the discussion tends to get very, very uh, technical. Um, but I think I always challenge myself and the, the teams working with me to see, to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Does is there, okay, we, I do a lot of domain-driven design, so there's a concept called essential complexity. Is there a, uh, is there a goal, is there essential complexity in the business domain that justifies us doing this? So that helps a lot, a lot for me in, in scoping the problem in the right context and with the right goal in mind. And oftentimes when we ask that question, the scope actually gets, uh, smaller and not bigger and we we start to, to a discussion about how can we uh, how, how is the linkage and how can we what is the most important first step so that's uh, that's for me the linking to the north star that's that's the mm, number one thing i i think it's uh, 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 that we should do when we do also when we scope technical discussions and uh, delivery goals it's very interesting because um, I often see and in the past find myself over 
over engineering solutions and going too complex for what we have. And um, what I find is that having this North Star and the North Star being measurable, I learned a lot with impact mapping from Goico, measure the why. Um, and how do you measure this North Star? How do you make it actionable? Yeah, one of the um, uh, one of the tools I have been become really fascinated about lately is wordly mapping. Um, so previously, when I uh, when I did DDD discovery for um, uh, uh, for discovering a domain uh, 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 reasoning sense making, I always started with a, a use case modeling. But lately, I've started using word mapping, and, and in wordly mapping, there is this vertical axis called value chain, and there's always an anchor at the top. So, are we solving this problem for our end user, our customers? And, and actually, yesterday I had a really interesting conversation with a team doing some backend component. So we start by talking about their capabilities. Okay, they're doing this service and that service, this capability and that. But then we. Uh, soon realized there are, are different types of users. So once we put all, all those different types of customers, you know, corporate customer, personal customer, and their need of having, they're, they're having different needs. Once we put them on, uh, up in the north as North Star, we started it, it, it being able to articulate about these technical and backend capabilities in a way that is much more direction pointing that is pointing at, I, I think that was more empowering for us to make sensible decisions. So I think wordly mapping with the value chain and, and the need traceabilities, um, that that's a really helpful tool. And I, I, I have really had great experience lately, so I can highly recommend that. Yeah, indeed. Thanks. Thanks for recommending that. that, that um I hope that the audience will challenge you uh, on social media with that and engage with discussions how you do it, because I think that the power of community is also important. Uh -huh. so, so I think that this these late, uh, latest example that you give, it's about your concept of being outcome-oriented, not process-oriented. How is your experience in this uh, digital agile transformation that you have in a bank that I imagine have lots of processes moving towards a more outcome-oriented uh, type of work. What did you learn? What the, the, the did you share and change mm -hmm. with the bank? If you can share with us, of course. Yeah, sure, sure. Of course, uh, I don't mind, and I don't think my uh, uh, my organization minds either. We are in the middle of a, a big agile transformation, um, and a. I think there are there are a lot of uh, good elements about about that. And, uh, right now, we're we're doing uh, a lot of us are doing this um, uh, uh, certification of safe scale agile framework, but also there is a lot of sobering discussion about um, yeah. Also in this a little bit in this COVID time, uh, yesterday we had a discussion about how can we stay safe and sane, you know, in the metaphorical sense. <laughs> Because safe is a process tool. It can be overly complicating if you just blindly follow safe. You know, uh, we have to do po plan planning for uh, poker. We have to make sure that our velocity in the next sprint is 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 better than the last sprint. Without thinking, are we doing work that is comparable in this sprint with the last sprint? 
and and you know that kind of thing. So if we just follow these process essential steps in according to save using KPIs and using OKRs and all this in a blind way, then I think we're losing agility. So we, I, I, I really, I'm, I'm really pursuing this bit in my organization using these visualization tools to make sense of the why uh, together with the teams. Every, every uh, decision about using a, introducing a new process step, uh, is it creating value for us? And is it constantly creating value for us in this sprint, in the next sprint? So, so I think doing agile um, in the big way, in the scaled way, without losing agility, is a big, big thing. And the organizations that can get to grips with that um, magical uh, bullet will succeed in their agile transformation. And the others will probably be drowned in process and ending up probably with agile process more complicated than waterfall. And I hope not that is going to happen. Yeah, I can I can definitely see the same same tendency in our IT world. Companies going, uh, yeah, today it's safe unless that it's about the principles, right? It's about or you are command and control or you are mission command. And if you want to be mission command and have the sense of agency and outcome, you need different methods. So uh, I really, really like your this, uh, description, which leads me to the, 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 the... Can I just add one more point, uh, Joao? Yes, for sure. Uh, just, uh, just about this, um, yeah, so about, because you, 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 tr you triggered my uh, thinking um, about um, this, um, yeah, it's also part of FIRE, about simplicity versus complexity. I think by doing, uh, by making a really big enterprise like mine, Agile, we're dividing into these uh, small organisms called squads and uh, very small teams. We are hoping to do things more simple, in a more simple way, because each team has a small scope and uh, that can be reasoned about independently. But then... Um, simplicity, I, th I think it's very in, uh, important for, for us to realize, and I think teams will even, inevitably come to that point, uh, that simplicity doesn't come uh, alone by dividing into smaller teams. Sometimes we, um, we have to have a more criteria such as goodness um, and elegance uh, pulling into the simplicity space. So being small, uh, does not do the thing. Um, uh, sometimes you, you need more. You need more than just being small and simple. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe, in, and and thanks for on the Zook because I, I was getting to the complexity part because you also um, explain oh, okay. about that. <laughs> um, and it's to, to get your thoughts that the world is a very complex and chaotic space. If we think about Knevin and the way that uh, Dave Snowden frames it, mm -hmm. this is the world. And I also see that there is a tendency in enterprises uh, and, and companies in general to oversimplify the problems. Do you think that being a social technical architect and using these tools will expose complexity and, and, and push people to think about complexity rather than oversimplify? Definitely, definitely. I think the uh, the way um, uh, um, uh, Kenevan is play. I think Kenevan can play a much more influential role than it currently does in uh, organizational 
um, development. And so if we think about it, I'm an architect. Uh, my role is an architect. So um, I think most architects have so, sort of a fascination with complexity. Um, I would bet that in the career of almost all architects, we've had kind of a love affair with complexity because that's what's driving us. We, we love it. We think that our ability to be able to draw those complex diagrams about complexity uh, is a sort of a anonymous, uh, sorry, synonymous to sophistication. Uh, but in truth, sometimes we are doing uh, the simplification game based on a different or a more um, unconscious um, perception of which domain we're operating in. So to give it an example, um, like um, in, in this world of um, being small, being agile and microservices, a lot of organizations are dividing into microservices. Microservice thinking is like you have a big thing and you want to do divide and conquer. You want to decompose into logical components and then you want to group them. But that's when you can, I think you can do that kind of divide and conquer thinking if you're in a complicated domain. If you can do analytical, you know, at the, the word analysis means dividing, right? So dividing things into different small parts and reason about them. However, if you're in a not only complicated domain, but also a complex domain where the cause and effects are not really obvious, just doing divide and conquer cannot do the thing. So, um, so, so sometimes I think in the complex domain, we've, we need new, uh, new ways of reasoning about it. Uh, for instance, uh, not only logical grouping, but also asking ourselves, the thing looks complex. Is it because we're not grouping correctly or is it because we're missing an important concept? We, if, if we're missing an important con concept, for, uh, just to pick, pick a concrete example, I think if you're working with squares, if you have six squares, right? Um, and you can have six teams making six squares as, as microservices. But then at a certain point, you can say, okay, I have discovered that having a, a cube abstraction is much more effective than having those six squares. And then you would think that, okay, then I would introduce the cube concept being a new abstraction. And for me, that's one way to make sense of the complex domain. That is to keep looking for new abstractions as uh, cohesion boundaries, as, as your basis for divide and conquer, rather than just dividing randomly and rather than to saying that uh, microservice is just good per se. And I, I think that's a very useful thing to take away from um, domain-driven design. And Eric Evans, I think, calls it uh, refactoring for deeper insight. And that only comes from um, a continuous exploration of your domain model, of your, of your uh, essential complexity, right? So, so that's, uh, that's how I see it. And then, of course, that's the human complexity, and that's a complete uh, different arena. And I think that currently, I, I re I'm really pleased to see these visualization tools like event storming and wordly mapping um, and Miro uh, lowering entry barriers for uh, teams doing collaborative modeling. And I think COVID actually had a positive push or nudge or whispering uh, of all of us um, having to visualize these things uh, when we work, are working as virtual remote teams, uh, if we want to create any common ground at all. So 
So that's the way I see it. I don't know if that answers part of your question. Uh, answer my question and uh, a bunch of questions that I had after it. It's it's just your explanation is just lovely. Thanks. I just love how you pick the six squares and go to the the cube and make sense with microservices and link all of those different models and theories. Just brilliant. Thanks. And I, I definitely agree with you. The the I think uh, for me there are two positive things with COVID. Uh, you know, working from home, I don't need to travel, so way more time to my family, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and second one, definitely the, the 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 need for these visual tools, and we need to reinvent ourselves. It's lowering the barrier. So uh, what we did in the past, we cannot do. Okay, let's go around this whiteboard and pick pens and and change. So we need to reinvent ourselves, uh, and the tools are catching up. I'm I'm seeing Miro and Mural because I already used them in the past, evolving way much faster. So um, picking up that. It's very interesting. So I got your thoughts on simplicity and complexity, and now I see when you introduce the concept of being useful. And now, of course, you give me the next hook with social part. How a software architect, a person like you, uh, that knows the value of the, the, the social part together with technical part, how can you constrain the system To, to help teams not, for instance, having cognitive load or going overboard with a team having 100 microservices to manage. I think that this is related to the restraint part. How do you constrain the system as a software architect? What is the, the, the advice that you can give to our audience? Right. How do I restrain the system, uh, the, the complexity and, and, and within the team? So, um, so one way I think about this is, um, again, from my personal experience, is that um, relating to the FIRE principle, I think we need to be aware at a, um, at a certain point uh, if we are, our discussions are going in circles, And if our thoughts are not crystal clear on something, then it's probably a time for us to stop up and try something new, try a different thing. And that's that's uh, what I experienced in um, in um, in, for instance, in in, in the uh, most recent agile transformation. Different squads making sense of their missions, and sometimes we have this urge to uh, make sense of everything. Um, at once, um, because we have all these squads, and if we need a feature, it just if we need a customer feature that is uh, spending like eight to ten squads work, and, and these squads are being um, like perceived as as uh, small organisms, then there is a really really big complexity on the edge of the teams. So how can I help them? How can I? play a role in minimizing the cognitive overload between the in the in the seams that's the piece i'm actually working on and i don't have a, a magic bullet there but i think the way um the the teams can be um more skilled in these visualization tools and and more skilled in doing 
uh, bottom-up negotiation about what I do, what you do, and how does that relate to the North Star? That's a really, really essential skills. And that's why right now my job is to actually immerse in every single squad, um, uh, doing domain-driven design together with them, doing visualization together. And at a certain time, um, I would then uh, uh, just uh, retreat and let the team go into the foreground and doing that themselves. So, uh, so my wish is to, as I, as you said in the intro, to democratize architecture. So it's not architects doing architecture, but the teams doing architecture. Architects should not become a bottleneck in these social organizations with small squads, because we also have a cognitive load. We can't perceive the complexity at the detailed level across squads. We've got to give away control, and the way. The only way for this to succeed is to, for each and single developer to become a, a micro architect by themselves. And I think that's that's. Um, I don't know if that's a kind of uh, what you're looking for, but that's what I'm probing. I do not know if that will work, but it's worth trying, right? <laughs> Definitely worth trying in this complex uh, world. Let's keep in touch to to see how your experiment goes. I am. Um, Talk with some people mm. in different communities that they say the same. It's it's the world is complex. The organizations are getting faster because now with cloud capabilities we can experiment and we have access to a portfolio of services that allows teams to move faster and try different stuff. Um, which means that the, the 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 context switching and all of these problems goes to to the architect's land. And I see more people doing these type of experiments that you are uh, describing. Can we? delegate and push which led me to to the next part so if we zoom out and we look to the social technical system itself to the ecosystem what is the role of a manager uh, to help the, the architects to help the teams on these what you call the, the negotiation uh, parts between the, the peers right between the squads what do you see there right so uh, the way I see it, it's, I think the term manager um, probably needs a certain version two or update because manager implies that you manage. And most managers think that they manage people. But in, in truth, they should be managing the context. They should be removing the roadblocks, but also creating enablers. So I have seen the most um, effective managers, in quotes, in my organization of those consciously um, um, making the team aware of uh, what I call the social architecture ar architecture runway. So you have you have a, a big airplane to build, but if the if the if the manager can succeed in facilitating the awareness of that without having the detailed knowledge himself, but he would be able to pull in different. Um, people, uh, architects and, uh, and, and another developer from another squad, squad to make the dependencies um, exceptionally clear and then retreat in the background and let, let the team do the work themselves. That's the best manager um, I can ever imagine. So it's managing the uh, uh, context, managing the, uh, the constraints and uh, giving the team the autonomy to make the decisions about content themselves. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. It's and um, not judging them for for making mistakes. Yes, yes, that is the the yeah. what I so called the, the ecosystem. And I had um, had a guest, Paul, uh, twenty episodes back or something, that uh, he talks that a manager needs to be transformed into a leader, right? To 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 a facilitator yeah. type of role rather than this management. So I see the this trend. Uh, I imagine that you don't know Paul. Uh, but I, I see the, the same thought process. And how an architect like you, right, that you think about also these social problems, um, how do you pair and work uh, with managers? How do you see these, these work going together? Or not? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, my, my basic stance is that, uh, mm, that there is so much untapped potential in managers in this transformation time. Um, and I think they can be, I mean, earlier I talked about the bandwidth of an architect being not sufficient to, you know, to be, uh, to be covering all these uh, connections and connecting the dots. And I see the social part of the social architect, uh, social technical architecture being a great potential for engaging the managers of, uh, of uh, being part of. And I, I, I truly believe that the managers can be, um, can be playing a really, really central role in bringing the, um, it sounds like a cliche, but bringing the system integration uh, uh, in tune with people integration. Because it's all about if um, I have seen really um, great challenges when two teams do not speak the same language. And we all talk about ubiquitous language. And and, and, and sometimes it's not even the concepts they're not agreeing on. It's about there is some communication barrier. There is lack of trust and there is some uh, past blames and scars, this type of thing. And if the managers can use their their whatever sense of mission and purpose to create a common identity. I mean, again, one of the, I think, uh, uh, one of the books I'm really fascinated about is, is uh, Daniel Pink's, um, um, you know, uh, uh, about the surprising truth about what motivates people. And I think that purpose is what the manager can help, the managers can help creating in a, in a team. And it's so important for the team to feel their purpose being a very, very small organism in the big sea of, uh, yeah, tribes and squads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see where you come from. Abstract, I'm, sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't agree that is too, too abstract. I think that is uh, for people that are familiar with Daniel's pink uh, work and before Deming, uh, they're they going to know what you are saying. For people that are not familiar, I highly recommend... So I'm turning this around. I highly recommend to go and discover Daniel's pink work because then you're going to understand the three uh, three principles, uh, purpose, mastery, and autonomy, uh, mm. and what drivers. So it's, it's yeah, I can see I can see how the work goes. And um, I have a sad news. We are, we are with a half an hour mark. I have so many more questions, uh, but I go to the final one. That is resources that you recommend, books or podcasts, blogs, YouTube videos, courses, online courses um, about topics that we have discussed here. Right. So in terms of books, um, 
I think I could uh, recommend um, another book of Dan Ward. He, he's, he's the guy behind this fire principle. He also wrote a book called The, Com uh, the Simplicity Cycle. Um, and that, that's really an intriguing book about the, um, how to reach the point between uh, a good balance between simplicity and elegance. So uh, a, a good, a good, a good thing to read. Um, another book that has inspired me a lot is, is nonviolent communication because you ask all these questions about managers. And, and I think, um, having a basic loving, empathic and a receptive approach to, um, diversity. That's that's what that book is all about, um, and uh, with a lot of good examples. Trying to see where the other person's value, uh, uh, what means most to the other person. In terms of resources, um, I think uh, one of the uh, one of the persons that has really helped socializing uh, Wortley mapping is uh, Ben Musher. I really like Learn Wortley mapping that website. Uh, learned a lot from Ben by by uh, visiting his website, um, and then there is also uh, a, a meetup I would like to recommend called uh, Virtual DDD. Uh, I think it's facilitated by our colleague uh, Kenny, and um, I really love those um, uh, topics he uh, he pick up. So um, he picks up. So really, um, really good stuff there. Thanks. I will make sure that uh, all of these resources uh, are in the description of this episode so people can follow up. Also, I will tag you with your social media so people can directly engage with you and continue this discussion. I want to thank you big time for your time to be here and share your thoughts with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. You can follow us on Twitter at S-Crafts Podcast. Visit our website softwarecraftspodcast.com or follow our page on LinkedIn. Pleasure to have you here. See you next week.